Good afternoon, Seven Investors, and welcome to the Monday edition of Seven Investing Now. My name, of course, is Daniel Brooks Klein, and as you can tell, I am back home very briefly at West Palm in West Palm Beach. I'm being joined today by Steve Symington and Max Chatsko. Guys, we did not discuss this before the show. I spent the weekend uh, largely in various pools at our uh, resort property, uh, which makes it sound way nicer than it is, our modest resort property. I was in three different pools and five different hot tubs, and I discovered where the fourth pool is, which was something I'd been looking for, but it rained, so I didn't get in there. Uh, (laughs) Steve, were you blowing things up? Were you herd moose? What was going on out there in Montana? uh, we went to a, a water park yesterday, which was kind of strange. We didn't do that all last year, but the city uh, built a really nice one. And, and it was between that and floating the river, but I think we'll do the river next. But it is smoky here. We, we're surrounded by wildfires right now, so can't even see the mountains that are far off. But The river seems brisk out there in Montana. Max, how was your weekend? Were there any darts involved? Any, uh, any disc golf? Darts and disc golf. It was uh, my birthday weekend, so uh, yesterday was a recovery day, Dan, and uh, not feeling not feeling one hundred percent today either. So, uh, but we'll 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 keep that to myself. We will we will FedEx Max some emergency uh, or maybe some electrolyte drinks. So we're going to talk about the movie business. Disney had kind of a uh, let's call it a, a telling weekend. Then we're going to talk about the Virgin Galactic launch. We're not going to spend a ton of time on movies, even though that is our top story. And then we're going to talk about the FDA and their uh, sort of ill-advised approval of an Alzheimer's drug. Yeah, it makes Matt shake his head. All you have to do is say FDA, and Max shakes his head. It's very Pavlovian. But before we do that, I've mentioned to all of you that I'm going to be traveling a bit. Uh, and normally, I fly southwest, but I, I am traveling to the Carolinas Uh, And I could have flown into Charlotte through Southwest, but there were no rental cars, so that was impossible. So I'm flying directly to Columbia, South Carolina. And anytime you think about investing in airlines, I want you to remember this story. So I have a basic fare. A basic fare basically means I'm a package. Like they don't give you a seat. uh, They don't give you a bag. It's very unclear. Like I paid for a bag, but I'm not sure if that means I can actually carry that bag on. You get to carry like your laptop bag on. So... I have a 6 a.m. flight tomorrow. I'll be heading over to the airport at like 4 a.m. because I'm not entirely sure when I could get on, how I'm allowed to do it. And this just to me, Southwest doesn't treat you this way. JetBlue doesn't treat you this way. I don't invest in those companies either because they're very heavy infrastructure businesses that are very dependent on on fuel. But Max, if you sent me money and said buy Delta stock, I wouldn't do it. I'd send you the money back. That is that is how little I like how I'm being treated here. Uh, but let's seg to our top story. So, Steve, we're going to talk about what happened at the weekend at the movies this weekend. And I'm directing this to you because you have a family. I know you go to the movies. Max yes. doesn't go to the movies that often. So, Max, you can sit back and uh, and sip your your bone broth or whatever you're doing as a as a recovery <laughs> beverage here. Um, but Disney had an amazing weekend. So here's what happened. Uh, Black Widow came out, and I still haven't seen it. Uh, I'm going to try to watch it uh, probably in a couple weeks when I when I get back. Um, Black Widow did 80 million at the U.S. box office, which would actually be a good, not great opening yeah. had it not been a pandemic. But it also did 60 million dollars globally on Disney Plus. That's you pay 30 dollars extra, but you also have to have Disney Plus. And you get to watch Black Widow at home with, in theory, every person you could think of to invite over, like you're having like a, you know, you paid your $70 for a UFC fight, which in theory, you could have paid your $30 to watch Black Widow and then paid later to watch uh, McGregor Poirier, which, spoiler alert, uh, if you haven't watched it yet, uh, McGregor breaks his leg and then swears a lot at Poirier. It was not a great (laughs) fight. Uh, But Steve, 
Would you think about doing this? What, what are your thoughts on this whole like mixed release model? Um, this, this is great uh, for Disney. You know, you look at the, the global take, what was it? 158 million or something uh, that, that they did, including international sales. But um, what, what's really interesting for, for Disney is that Disney plus number because they're cutting out the middleman and uh, the margins are much more attractive on those Disney plus numbers. So um, it, it sort of changes the, the dynamics that they used to enjoy for the box office. And uh, yeah, I, I think it's fantastic for them. So what a great weekend. So it's a I big, would, oh, go I ahead, would do this and then charge all my friends like ten dollars so you make money. You know? <laughs> yeah, Max is setting up like vending. We would love your questions and comments. You can get ahead of us and ask questions about uh, Virgin Galactic. You can ask questions about other things. We've got a couple you already submitted on Twitter. So, Steve, I think there's there's one sort of problem here. This yeah. model is great for Disney because you have to watch Black Widow, and I'd argue that you want to watch it in a theater. Yeah. I'm not so sure this model works for anybody else except for the occasional, you know, Comcast could have done it with Fast and Furious. They could do it with Jurassic World. Yeah. Maybe Sony uh, could do it with uh, Mission Impossible. I think that's theirs. Maybe that's Paramount's. Not even sure. Um, yeah. But I don't actually think this changes much except for the fact that does this sort of show to you that movie theaters are, they're dead. Like if, if, if this is the biggest release we have, yeah. And 60 million worth of people watched it at home. This is not going to have legs. Like what are your thoughts on the long term of the movie industry? Yeah, that 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 hurts the the argument from for movie theaters, right? And and I had this debate yesterday where I'm sitting there just making sure, you know, my 6-year-old stays above water and uh, I was actually thinking about that we should go see Black Widow. And then like the kids are all just sleeping in the car on the way home. So it was uh I'm like no, that's not going to happen. But I I want to see it in the theaters. And uh, I'd much rather do that than pay 30 bucks to watch it at home or wait, you know, another couple of months for it to be available on Disney Plus for free. But I I'd love to see the theaters. But there's only a few movies a year that most families are willing to do that for. And, uh, and you know, Black Widow's one of those. And uh, the rest of them, you know, unless they're really, really big name, um, that that's a tough go uh, for the movie theater industry over the next several years. And, and you know, it might work for the other um you know, the other companies, but you do need to have, you know, Disney's got this big behemoth of a streaming service that allows it to do that. Uh, so maybe not so much uh, with, with other, um, with, with other titles, but uh, I, I don't know. It's, it, it's never been a great um, kind of cloudy picture for, for theaters going forward. So Steve, I'm in a family of three adults. My son is 17. So for a movie purpose that, that makes him an adult. So mm -hmm. the Delta on going to the theater and paying for parking, because most of the theaters near us charge for parking. <laughs> um, and then also probably buying candy, or at least sneaking in candy, yeah. and paying a $12 movie ticket. The savings are actually pretty significant. And so let me give an example for your kids. Now, Boss Baby, which came out, had, had a narrow theatrical window. I think it's a, a two-week or maybe a 21-day exclusive theatrical window. If you knew, wait a month, pay $30, and your family of four could see Boss Baby, a film I'm pretty sure you're not dying to see, but would be obligated to see because of the kids. Is that the point where it just makes more sense for you to wait to watch it at home, where in theory you can be answering seven investing email while that's happening? That's not the point. I'm, I'm not paying 30 bucks for Boss Baby at home. Like, no, no, <laughs> no way. It's, it's not, and I actually, we had that debate last week too, before Black Widow came out. Like, we should go to a movie. And I looked, I was like, yeah, no. Like, we're not going to the movies. It's just Boss Baby and 
Peter Rabbit 2, which would, no, uh, I'll wait for those to come out on Netflix or pay $2 to rent them on Amazon Prime. That just doesn't make sense. I don't know, Steve. I take your kids to see The Forever Purge. I think that's uh, <laughs> wildly age inappropriate. So what is Brace this yourselves, children. What does this mean? And I'm going to go first because I literally, when we first moved to Florida, walking distance to a movie theater was an absolute factor in where we lived. And now... I probably would prefer to see Black Widow in a movie theater, but if it's two weeks from now and I think the crowds are going to be sparse and my son wants to watch it and my wife's willing to sit there and watch it with us, we'll probably just watch it at home. I'm not sure I'm going to go to the theater. So I actually think my barrier is really, really high in order to 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 go to the movies. Uh, you know, Steve, yeah. with kids your age, it's a little different, right? But do you think your your goal has changed? Nope. <laughs> it's, I mean, I would say it's not that much different, right? And these, these, I'll go to like Disney releases and stuff, like stuff that there are certain movies and certain studios that are much better at creating content that parents are willing to bring their kids to see in the movie theater because, yeah, you need to have something for adults in there. And Disney does a fantastic job, you know, for example, but um, uh, of entertaining both parents and children and like Pixar. Uh, titles in particular, but yeah, no, uh, the, I'd say it's not that much different for, for younger families these days because there's so much other content that'll keep us busy elsewhere. Steve, do you think this leads to Disney or maybe a consortium of, um, of Disney universal, uh, which is of course Comcast and Netflix buying some sort of movie theaters? Because I don't see there being enough movies that make sense in theaters to justify these like 18 oplexes. Whereas yeah. I think if Disney owned a theater, they could put in other experiences. They could put in virtual reality. They could they could yeah. even you know put in a dark ride or you know some sort of changeable system. Is that far fetched, or do you think that well, could happen? No, that's that's I mean at most a moderately uh, cumbersome acquisition for Disney. You know if they're looking at buying a company like AMC, for example, or you know Signature or something like that. But um, you know there's there is precedent for that too. This uh, Ishi Yi uh, ticker IQ in China actually has its own uh, small chain of movie theaters that you can actually rent and you can play any title from their streaming library in there. And uh, they, they're, they're kind of ahead of the game uh, in that sense. But I mean, why not at a certain point, once you, once you've reached a certain market cap and you can issue a few shares or uh, it kind of, it would kind of feel like Amazon, you know, gobbling up whole foods pun intended uh, for $13 billion when they're a, you know, five or six or $700 billion company. I mean, <laughs> that was barely a, a hiccup. Uh, in the share count uh, radar for them to be able to buy a $13 billion um, grocery store chain. And uh, I think eventually it might make the most sense for companies like Netflix or Disney is they just get ever larger to be able to absorb uh, a small number of theaters like that. Disney buying part of AMC is like me buying like the $7 water at the movies. Like it's not fun, but it doesn't actually impact my finances. But I (laughs) I actually think you're going to get a Hulu-like situation because if Disney buys... Now, Disney might buy, say, like the one theater at Disney Springs and a few select things and own them outright. But I think it's much more likely from a federal regulatory point of view because if Disney was to buy AMC... Yeah. They would have absolute conditions on having to devote screens to other to other companies and not hog all the best dates and things like that. I actually think you're going to see it be, you know, at least Disney and Comcast working together. And that sounds weird 
uh, but they do work together in a strange way uh, because of the Marvel theme park licensing. You also have a Disney-Sony relationship. Maybe Sony could become a minor partner in this because I actually think theaters only make sense if you cut out the theatrical cut. You talked about how Disney Plus streaming uh, makes more money, and here's how that works. So Disney has the leverage for a Black Widow to say, hey, we want somewhere between 70 and 75% of the first week gross. And the longer the, the picture plays in theaters, the more that split starts to favor the theater. It might get to 60-40 at some point, maybe even 50-50. The problem is movies aren't gonna have legs anymore. So none of that makes any sense for the theaters. So of all this money that Black Widow is gonna take in in its first 10 days, Disney's gonna get the lion's share of that. But on Disney+, Plus, call it 98% because there is some small delivery charge there's processing, there's other things that might add to a couple of points of margin away from it being a pure 100% margin. Um, but the theatrical business looks a lot better if there's no middleman or, or if that middleman is a company you own part of. And then frankly, Steve, you think for Disney, like running theaters could be a break even if they could use it to like, I don't know, you have a booth where you can book your theme park vacation, like all, all the things Disney could do. You could rotate character meeting greets, you could do birthdays, like... I don't yeah. know. D Disney's tried this before, uh, and it didn't work that well with with mall locations, not just the stores. They tried some theme parky things. Um, Max, I'll let you weigh in. Like, it, would you do that? I mean, I know you don't have kids, you don't fit the demo, but will you go to some like cool virtual reality experience, see the latest Avengers movie, and you know, eat some food that was also sold at Epcot? Like, yeah, I, don't know, you, I don't know what this looks like. You just pitching that now you know what if disney got into movie theaters even selectively or in certain markets or those those giant like you know there's a lot here in pittsburgh right like amc went and built those enormous theaters that probably aren't gonna work out so well 10 years from now but maybe disney could make something out of that um like you said like more more entertainment more of an experience uh that's the first time i ever heard that idea and that's actually pretty cool i was like sitting here like yeah you know what that could make sense <laughs> i don't know about margins or anything like that this isn't the part of the market i cover but uh yeah, you know, that could uh, I could see that working out for Disney, right? Uh, maybe not anyone else, but Bob Chapik, if you'd like to talk this idea, and I assume you're watching Seven Investing now, uh, you can hit me up at Worst Ideas Seven. I will accept the direct message to talk about this. We're going to pivot a little bit, and we're going to talk about the big Virgin Galactic launch. Uh, but before we do that, it is now almost mid July, which seems absolutely insane. But on July 1st, our new picks went live for members. What does that mean? Each one of us shares our highest conviction stock pick each month. So that is the one stock that if I was going to put money into, and I do put money into them, that is the one I would put money into. And each of us does that. And we also do a multi-thousand word write-up on that stock with what's the valuation, what's the management like, what's the competitive balance, all the different questions you would ask. So you can read that, or you could just read the key takeaway to get the gist of it. And you can watch these 15 to 45 minute videos. I say 15, I don't think we've ever done one that's 15. Uh, so let's call them an average of 30 minute videos where we do a PowerPoint presentation and we present our stock idea to our fellow uh, seven investing lead advisors. And there's questions, there's pushback. Uh, you know, my, my pick this, this month happened to be one that I knew Simon really liked. Uh, so I was excited to, you know, to, to go into it knowing at least one person was going to be in favor uh, of my pick. Um, but if you would like to join us, uh, there's, there's, you get the July picks, you get all the past picks, you get our scorecard, which shows you everything we've done and how they've performed against the market. 
we are beating the market by quite a bit. You also get tons of members only content, company updates. So, hey, I picked this six months ago, something happened, here's what it means. Um, we don't do that on 7investing now. We don't, we don't divulge what our picks are during the free live show. We also do a members only call where you can ask us pretty much anything. Ask us about uh, stocks we picked, ask it about, about things you're thinking. Uh, we interact with our members. I know over the weekend, uh, I answered some email from members that had really good questions that I would have done live on a members call, but since we were, we were more than a week out, I answered the question. Um, I had coffee with one of our members last week. We uh, can't do that with everybody, but if I happen to be in your area, happy to have a coffee. So if you'd like to become a member, it is $49 a month or, and this is a great deal, $399 a year. That equates to some months free. I'm not good at math, two months free, I think roughly. It's a little more than that. And that is seveninvesting.com slash subscribe. We hope you will join us. Uh, but Steve, we got a lot of questions here and, and yeah, we'll yeah. take these, at, take them as you want them. But why don't we establish, sure. uh, let, me, let me give the broad point is that Virgin Galactic had its first, I think it's still technically a test flight with more than one astronaut uh, in, and they went into space. There's a lot of uh, questions about whether a suborbital flight is actually space. Uh, Jeff yeah. Bezos would say no. Richard Branson, who was on the flight said yes. And I have to be honest. I didn't watch this because I've seen enough movies where the spaceship blows up and your visionary billionaire goes away. And as much as yeah. Jeff Bezos seems like a jerk, Richard Branson seems like the best guy ever. And I absolutely want to hang out with him. He seems like fun. He's not inviting me, but I've seen him speak and he really seems like a genuinely impish, mm -hmm. entertaining guy. Um, but Steve, what happened and sort of what does this mean? And then take, take any question you want to take. Okay, so um, I mean, we've got questions streaming in about this, and and uh, yeah, the um, so SD asks. I'm I'm just going to read the first couple out loud. First, why is Virgin Galactic down today after the successful launch of Branson? That was yesterday morning. Uh, Roman says I was pretty sure that Virgin Galactic would be up significantly this morning after Branson's successful flight, but apparently the market decided otherwise. So here's what happened: <laughs> um, they whipsawed really hard, and they were up early this morning. If you looked at pre-market trading, they were up about nine percent. And then just before the market opened, or maybe right at the open, uh, Virgin Galactic had an SEC filing uh, hit their uh, website that uh, basically disclosed that they were planning to sell 500 million in shares. And uh, so they uh, they basically took advantage of, of some of that. They hoped to take advantage, I think, of some of that upward momentum in order to, uh, to announce the share offering. And I think they were hoping uh, that any negativity following the news of that offering would be offset by the positivity of the Branson flight. And to be clear, uh, the Branson flight went perfectly. It was a fantastic PR event. It's trending all over the world. It was the you know top discussed stock on pretty much every platform uh, over the weekend and this morning. Uh, and as you mentioned, it was its, its first fully crewed flight. There were two pilots. There's Branson. There were three employees of Virgin Galactic that were each kind of testing different aspects of the flight. One was looking at scientific research. Branson said he had a um, notepad and pen where he took down 30 or 40 little things of ways they could kind of improve it because, you know, he's the customer experience guy. He's perfect for this. Um, so yeah, shares were popping in initial uh, trading, uh, but they promptly reversed course. I think last I looked, they're down 13 or 14% right now. And that's because of the offering is what you have. And this is also a highly shorted stock. We'll get to that in a minute. Uh, but some people will say, uh, as Mike Fee says, you know, please explain, buy the rumor, sell the news. Um, 
in, in the comments there. That's sort of one of those people where uh, I, I don't think that's that's necessarily uh, the case here. Yeah, Steve, um, Steve I want to jump in on that. I, I was yeah. actually going to take that one later because okay. that's not really how long-term investing works. So right. now, certainly, if you believe you know the direction a company is going in before it's publicly announced, that might impact your thesis. But yeah. here's what happened here. Mac, Max talks about de-risking events a lot because they happen in the in his space. Here's what happened. The flight went off and didn't blow up. That is a minor de-risking event. It is not the same as we're sending three flights a week or 10 flights a week or whatever it is. And we're starting to collect this revenue and we're starting to raise prices. So I would argue that this is an exhale, which might cause the stock to go up. The yeah. company full well knew it was going to go down when it announced a half billion dollar offering, but that cash is a cushion it needs. Yeah. And because it didn't blow up, this isn't actually news, right, Steve? Like nothing really yeah. happened here. No, and, I mean, it was widely expected that the flight would go well. You know, they've done several test flights already. And, you know, they, they did have a, a fatal crash in 2014. that was basically the earliest iteration of this ship, right? And it had, it was actually pilot error. The pilot pulled something, didn't have mechanisms in place to prevent him from unlocking that feather. And that was just a bad situation, obviously. But, uh, you know, everybody did kind of exhale because they're like, okay, Branson's still alive. This is, you know, and they, they're demonstrating like we are safety first that's where they are at this point and this is a later iteration of the ship um but for perspective i mean perspective is in order here uh this isn't necessarily a bad thing we expected them to raise cash at some point uh because they've got bills to pay and they have scaling to do before they can you know they want to be able to ramp commercial service with more than one spaceship flying and uh ceo if you watch the there's you know, basically PR blitz after this <laughs> flight. Uh, the CEO, Michael Kohlglazer, uh, who is himself a former Disney executive, by the way, uh, noted in several interviews that the company intends to reopen ticket sales at a higher price. Probably my guess is around 500,000, right? They have 600 reservations at about 250,000. Uh, but they say the price will go up in the near term. And then over the longer term, they want to bring it down and make it more accessible, but they've got bills to pay, right? Uh, but they said they intend to reopen the the ticket sales at a higher price after their next flight, because there's one more test flight after this. And then there is a uh, flight with the Italian Air Force for astronaut training that will come after that before they kind of take a few months for maintenance and then uh, launch commercial service in early 2022. So uh, he said, basically, you know, at this point, we're looking at uh, manufacturing, where we need to pivot, we need additional spaceships, we need to expand our geographic reach. They have several deals in place for new spaceports around the world. Um, and they ended last quarter with over 600 million in cash on their balance sheet. And, uh, it was only down sequentially 617 million was the exact number. Uh, and that was down about 49 million from the prior quarter. It's not like they're burning so much cash that they couldn't sustain the business for several years. They didn't absolutely need the money, but we also keep in mind shares have roughly doubled already. Um, I think they're still up like 90% year to date, even after today's drop. And they've, basically almost tripled from their lows just a couple of months ago. So it's hard to blame the company for taking advantage of this volatility to issue some new shares. And uh, one last point, you know, before we move on, uh, even after the drop today, that $500 million offering, it's like 11.6 million shares, right? That's less than 5% of their total shares outstanding. It's about 7% of their, uh, their float right now. Uh, it's not really that big a deal. So you look at this 14% drop today after a, a pretty significant positive event, I would say, honestly, that we're seeing a bit of an overreaction today, highly shorted stock. And, uh, you know, I, I haven't sold a single share. So that's, that's where I stand.
And spaceships aren't cheap. So having an extra half billion dollars and and part of the yep. reason Coalglazer was brought in from Disney is to Disneyfy the entire experience. So I've often joked that this is an 18 minute experience and Star Wars Rise of the Resistance is a 17 minute experience. Mm-hmm. I'm not entirely sure that the $160 you pay to get into Disney is that different from the $250,000 you pay to get yeah. in this flight? Seems a little excessive. So they're making this sort of like a four-day space camp adventure. You get your little flight suit. Um, you know, all of the, it, this isn't just going to be about the flight. It's going to be about the overall experience. Mm-hmm. Uh, but Steve, do you know, and I, I hate to put you on the spot here. Dude. Once once they, they get up and going, are there four seats? Are there six seats? How, how many people are on each of these flights from a revenue point of view? So I, I think there's six seats. Uh, on each flight. They had four seats in the flight uh, yesterday. This is their full, first, what they called their first fully crewed flight. Um, but I believe there'll be six seats uh, and two pilots. So uh, basically six passengers, you know, if we're looking at $250,000 a piece for their first 600 seats and then 500,000 a piece, probably, and a lot more demand, I think, than people realize people who will be willing to pay this price in those early stages. Uh, so we'll be looking about 3 million uh, per flight in revenue that they're pulling in. And uh, Cole Glazer has elaborated. There's a great Bloomberg interview. I encourage you to look it up yesterday. It's about seven minutes. Uh, numbers check out. And I would consider, um, you know, highly recommend watching it because he talks about kind of the dynamics uh, of what to expect going forward. He says price will go up and I think we're going to have healthier margins than you realize. Um, so they're they're going to be um, pretty quickly ramping to a, a fairly positive um you know, financial profile once these commercial launches commence. And uh, yeah, that, that's kind of where, where we are right now. And, uh, and they haven't shared margin, but if you're looking at, you know, a million dollars to operate the flight and you're bringing in a million and a half, that's still healthy. If you can get that to three million and you can add some commercial payload uh, at yes. much higher numbers or ferrying astronauts and things mm-hmm. like that, there is a lot of possibility here. I want to take Rahul's question sure, uh, because I, I think that's a really good one. If you want to pull that up, Sam. What would a major relook, uh, a de-risking event look like for uh, for space? Is there any, Steve? I have some thoughts, but uh, why don't you go first? Yeah, um, I mean, I, I would say each of these successful test flights is a moderate de-risking event. Uh, I don't know that I would call them major de-risking. Uh, I think one of the the big points of uncertainty that a lot of people don't um, they don't necessarily trust. Uh, is how strong the demand will be when they reopen ticket sales after this next flight and at what price they will be. Uh, I think that's one of those things where they see more reservations streaming in than a lot more people will be willing to bet on the long-term viability of the business. So reopening demand and the price point uh, could be the next kind of big catalyst uh, that we're looking at. And Steve, isn't this all just sort of a bridge business that, yep, this will be part of their business. I actually think long-term the price will go down for these suborbital flights. But you're going to have everything from faster, you know, Australia to New York travel. Uh, then you're going to have, you know, things like eventually the the Mars uh, orbital station vacation. And like right. this is I, I said to our friend Chooch online that this is like the first inning of, of, of a nine inning game. Yep. This is baby steps. And if they can make money to to, you know, to pay for their own expansion, mm-hmm. the, the story for this company is 2040. It's not right. Not that there won't be great milestones and, and yeah. but and, like and and they will, you know, we'll see profitability and and positive cash flow well before then from this existing kind of start to their business. But um yeah, they uh, actually it, it reminds me of and I pulled it up while you were talking because it reminded me of it. But if you look at the vision page on their website, they talk about what they want to do, you know, 
by like a 2040. And they say our initial operations will give us unequaled experience of flying large numbers of non-professional astronauts safely and enjoyably. Uh, in time, we expect to be operating a variety of vehicles from multiple locations to cater to the demands of growing space user community, whether that be transporting passengers to Earth orbiting hotels and science labs or providing world shrinking transcontinental service. Right. Um, so hypersonic travel, uh, you know, hotels in space down the road, uh, you know, space labs, those sorts of things. Virgin Galactic wants to be a leader in all of these. And this is the first step in a very long term story. Yeah, and you know, stealing Cole Glazer from Disney was great. Naming Pluto as CFO seemed a little bit of a publicity stunt. We're going to take one last comment from Mike Fee here uh, because I, I have sort of a some pushback on this one. Uh, Space has lost a lot of investor confidence in the past year. The former CEO uh, George Whitesides left. Uh, Chamath and Richard both cashed out their stakes, and the company completely scrapped uh, all of those rosy SPAC projections. Uh, previous investor presentations removed from websites. Fun story, interesting to follow, but. Uh, uninvestable in my opinion. So I would have felt that way a while ago. The one thing I will say here is obviously Chamath is someone we follow. He's someone really interesting, but he's also someone that likes his name on the in the news. Saying yeah. how much you like a company, but then you sold out your share because there were better opportunities, that's publicity hound stuff. So I don't actually follow the moves of anything like that. That's Elon Musk, you know, playing with Dogecoin. Like this is Right. I, there are voices you listen to. I actually, as an investor, I have a small stake in this company. I actually went from, I don't see the business to, wow, 20 years from now, this is going to be a hundred bagger. Um, mm -hmm. Unless they have some spaceships blow up and that's the absolute risk. That, I'm, yeah, that's a very binary event, you know, if something like that happens. So yeah. I'm not sure how many hundreds of successful flights they have to have before their business can withstand a crash. And we know from air travel Crashes are inevitable, no matter how careful you are, uh, though many of the global crashes we have are because they're, they're not careful. Um, but, but Steve, speak to any part of that you like. I just stepped uh, all over I, it. I mean, I could speak point to point to that, actually, and, and I won't take too long, but uh, I, I would disagree. Uh, they, I would say they've gained a lot of investor confidence with these recent test flights. Uh, and as far as the, um, uh, the, the former CEO, George Whitesides, he is currently their chief space officer, right? He stepped aside to allow Michael Koglazer to step in and kind of usher them into their next phase of growth because Koglazer is a Disney guy. Uh, he totally understands uh, what they need to actually manage this experience. And George Whitesides wasn't the right person for that. So I would say there's that. Uh, Chamath and Richard did not both cash out their stakes. There's an asterisk there. Uh, you know, they, a lot of people think they sold all their shares, but Chamath actually sold his personal stake in the company to fund other investments. We had a little discussion on our uh, Slack channel actually about this, but Chamath sold, I think, uh, the remaining $200 million in shares he owned, but he still indirectly owns 15.9 million shares through the SPAC merger vehicle that they used to take Virgin Galactic public. Chamath also remains their... Uh, their chairman of the board. Uh, so he is fully on board. Um, Richard Branson actually did not cash out uh, his entire stake either. They sold something to prop up the rest of the Virgin businesses. Uh, they sold, a, it was like 10% of their stake to do that. And he still owns almost a quarter of the company uh, and uh, did not, yeah, the, the rosy SPAC projections. Um, those previous investor presentations are still there, by the way, uh, but they replaced them with more recent presentations that give theirs. Uh, but if you want to find those SPAC projections, they're still on the website in their SEC filings. Um, 
but uh, those are there. They, they pushed it back. They had a long history of kind of missing deadlines. Uh, so I would argue that those uh, those rosy spec projections were, you know, definitely missed. But I wasn't interested in the company then because I doubted that they'd be able to reach them. Now I think we've reached an inflection point where things make more sense. So my I two think cents. I think to Mike's point though, it's like you know, there's been a lot of excitement because it's like, can they even fly these things? Right? Yes. Now we've done that, and that's excitement's going to kind of fade away. I mm-hmm. see a lot of analogies or parallels to like SpaceX. Remember the first time they launched a capsule to the International Space Station? Yeah. Same thing. Everybody was watching. I watched. It was on Twitter. It was on YouTube. Everything. Well, SpaceX has made like dozens of launches since then. I couldn't t- name a date for any of those, right? Yeah. Uh, we just kind of like accept it as like, okay, they can do it. Okay, they can land rockets now. And, yep. you know, the expectations shift to like more of the fundamental based, you know, okay, how much revenue are they going to get? What's the yep. uh, demand for this? And yeah, but, I'd, I'd be very interested in SpaceX if it was a publicly traded company. Uh, but that's kind of the point at which, you know, I, I think... Uh, if you're talking about investing in a company, I love investing in companies at their inflection points when a lot of people still doubt their stories, right? So I would love being in SpaceX a few years ago when everybody else was like, oh, they'd never be able to, you know, land those rockets. And I think it was like yesterday, uh, they landed two like orbital boosters that were 10 stories tall at the same time. It was just absurd watching the video of both coming down these monstrous structures and uh, but yeah, they, you know, look a few years ago and people would be like, you can't do that. Like you can't reuse rockets in that way. And and uh, but yeah, for me, I want to be in the company years before then. And I think that's where Virgin Galactic is. And hopefully as it shifts to more of like the fundamentals of financials, uh, maybe it, hopefully it's a little less volatile. Right. Because you, you have something to grab onto and, and quantify. <laughs> yeah. And, and we saw it. Look, there's a lot of people trading the news. And that's not really the story with this company. I, I think even some very seasoned investors that, that are fans of this program and, and are long-term investors sort of expected that, wow, something good happened, the stock was going to go up. And yeah. I think if we've seen anything, especially in these like highly visible stocks, is that the story eventually catches up, but that could take a long time. So yeah. there, there's going to be some point where they put out quarterly earnings that no one sees coming or just out of the blue, they're like, wait, we ran 50 flights and sent like four satellites into orbit and had a, you know, had a half billion dollar quarter and made 250 million on that. Like, I actually think that's coming again with the very, very real risk of kablooey. I want to take the next to last comment to close this out, Sam, if you want to bring it up. Uh, (laughs) uh, Thanks for calming us down, Dan. Your voice keeps us relaxed. Long SPCE. Yeah, that's our goal here. That's part of what we're doing on 7investing now is really to tune out the short-term noise, the, ter- the short-term fear. It's never fun uh, to see some of your stocks go down. I, I have a, a recent pick that's, that's down a little bit today, and I want to be screaming from the rooftop like, wait a minute, this company's doing well. Like it, It's bouncing back from the pandemic. Here's all these good things. But who cares? Well, it, it might be doing badly because it's raining today in Florida. Who who mm-hmm. knows? Like so, so our goal is to hold your hand for the long term. It's to be your your conviction, your your friend that you know doesn't play games with it and just says we're in it for the long run. We're gonna pivot to Max's what we're watching. If you have any questions uh, related to this, related to other parts of the show, any general investing questions, we will have a little bit of time to take them, probably. But uh, Max, why don't you do a little bit of reset? So the FDA approved a a controversial Alzheimer's drug. Controversial because it probably doesn't work. Uh, And now there might be, and I don't want to minimize that. I fully understand that if you have someone in the family that this was a a ray of hope, something to be, 
but a false ray of hope is is kind of dangerous. What's going on here, Max, and what might happen? Yeah, no, I think you're right. Um, so on June 7th, the FDA came out and approved a uh, drug from Biogen um, for Alzheimer's disease. Now, the drug had not completed clinical testing, and it doesn't actually have any data supporting that it might work. So this was highly controversial. Um, and then later on, you know, Biogen came out and priced the drug at $56,000 per year. Uh, so an independent um, and, and pretty uh, influential drug pricing body uh, before that said, hey, you know what, uh, given the data, which there isn't much, um, we think a fair price for this drug might be $2,500 a year. So Biogen came out and just blew it out of the water. Even analysts on Wall Street were saying, uh, they'll probably do like 20000 So they almost tripled that, right? Um, well, now, just more recently, um, last week, the acting FDA commissioner uh, bowed to some of the pressure and asked the Health and Human Services Inspector General to launch an investigation into the approval decisions. And specifically, um, it's been reported that there might have been some um, improper contacts between uh, regulators at the FDA and executives from Biogen. I think some of this was reported by STAT, which is a, a, an online um, you know, biotech uh, uh, media digital publication. Um, o- owned by the people who own the Boston Globe and employing many uh, former colleagues of Dan. <laughs> so. Right. That's why I threw that in there. I knew you, I knew you liked them. Um, so, yeah. So this is just getting messier and messier, right? We had this controversial approval. Um, then they priced the drug you know, to the high heavens and it might not even work. Um, now they're launching an investigation into like, Hey, well, did we approve this because there was some, you know, back channel in- influence campaign? Oh, and by the way, they actually, um, also narrowed the label. So when they approved this drug, uh, they said you can use it for all Alzheimer's patients. And even though the studies weren't completed and it doesn't work yet, um, they actually never tested it in all Alzheimer's patients. They only tested it in those who had mild to moderate Alzheimer's disease. So the FDA actually approved it for everyone initially. And then they just, last week again, they narrowed the label saying, okay, it, only if you have mild dementia uh, can you actually take this drug. Um, so this just keeps getting messier and messier and messier. And uh, I actually think they should just probably revoke the approval altogether. Max, was the FDA caught between a rock and a hard place? There's a lot of people who want any hope and to, to take a drug that might work, because this is obviously pretty much the worst diagnosis you can get a a slow declining disease. We can't do very much about Were were they just in a position where it doesn't look like it does any harm. So maybe try it in some more people to see if it helps. Well, we don't know if it does any harm either because we didn't complete (laughs) testing and there's actually signs of uh, neuro neuro inflammation from taking the drug. So there, it could cause harm in the long run. We don't know. Um, So I, I reject that argument, right? There's like the argument for like right to try it's Alzheimer's. Come on, man, give it a chance. Well, think about the negative consequences from this, right? Um, This drug is based on the beta amyloid hypothesis. So these amyloid plaques build up in the brain and they cause Alzheimer's. That's the hypothesis. It's actually pretty controversial because it's not proven that beta amyloid plaques actually cause or lead to dementia. Uh, Those actually build up in parts of the brain that aren't associated with memory. Uh, So it doesn't actually make sense that it would be necessarily the main critical component of how Alzheimer's disease progresses. So by making this approval, you're going to force other drug companies, other drug developers to maybe go and invest in this hypothesis, developing other drugs that also might not work. So maybe we're limiting uh, alternative routes of, of, of action against the disease. Uh, so you're kind of like you, have, you risk, you know, channeling and funneling too much money into the wrong ideas and the wrong plays um, just because of this controversial 
you know, approval. And again, we don't want to approve drugs that aren't safe and don't work. And then companies can charge whatever they want for them. That's not the role of the FDA. They're supposed to protect you as consumers. So I get that it's Alzheimer's. We don't have anything. But uh, I think not approving this is way better than having approve it. And then think of the prices that patients have to pay. Like the out-of-pocket expenses are like tens of thousands of dollars a year. It's a lot of money to pay for something that doesn't work. Uh, That's not how the FDA is supposed to operate. So, Max, is the FDA flawed? Like, is there a better way to be doing this? And then I want to talk about the investing angle a little bit. No, I think, you know, maybe there's just a little too much influence going on behind the scenes. And it was also in a transition period, right? So right now, the FDA doesn't have a permanent commissioner. They still have an acting commissioner. Maybe they let down some of their responsibilities and duties. Um, You know, again, maybe some of the officials that were involved in this specific decision, um, they're not the ones that make the decisions to approve all drugs, right? I think it's by area. Uh, So maybe just, you know, those people got let the, again, that narrative of Alzheimer's disease, let's get something on the market. Uh, Maybe this kind of gets swept up in the emotions, which is, again, not something you're supposed to be doing if you're approving drugs for the United States of America. Um, You know, that's a pretty important role. You take that responsibility seriously. Um, So I I think, you know, it was just they were caught in this transition period. And again, maybe maybe there was some influence behind the scenes between the company and uh, and and these uh, agency representatives. So I didn't know a lot about this space before joining Seven Investing. And one of the things I've clearly learned is there's going to be, call it uh, short money, retail money, following whatever the news story is. Oh, this might get approved and it's a billion dollar drug and somehow the stock gets bid up 10 times and the valuation makes no sense. That really, when you're looking at a company like Biogen, you're not basing it on any one thing. You have to base it on the overall platform, the overall pipeline, and sort of where it might go in a very long term. And that's clearly not how people are investing. Uh, am I getting that right, Max? Yeah, and Biogen's a large company, right? So uh, we saw Biogen go uh, gain quite a bit of market cap uh, when that approval was announced. Uh, same for Eli Lilly. It has a, a drug that's in a similar drug class, works the same way, uh, actually has a little bit more advanced data um, than the Biogen drug did. And they're going to ask for accelerated approval now. Um, so again, we're seeing like the ripple effects of the FDA decision, right? Um, in terms of like other companies, you're like, well, we'll get our drug approved too. Let's do it. We don't need to finish testing. Um, and yeah, and, and you know, but one thing that um, from this decision, we saw um, some analysts or people were like, well, you know, maybe the FDA is going to be more lax now. Maybe all these other crazy drugs are going to get approved. And I don't think that's the case. And I think that this might actually backfire just of how much of a mess this was, there's going to be even more scrutiny on uh, other decisions, right? And if things are close calls, like, do you think the FDA wants to, uh, it, you know, have this happen again for another drug approval? Uh, I think it's actually going to make it harder to get drugs that don't have really good data approved. Uh, so this might actually backfire um, for, you know, drug developers. I am hoping that my drug, my drug Bubble Yumma Lab, uh, which is a, an aspirin pushed into a square of bubble yum, uh, will get approved. But my handwritten letter to the FDA is probably not going to get that done. These are both stories we're going to be updating regularly. I have a feeling we're going to be talking about the FDA and we're going to be talking about Virgin Galactic a lot over the next few years. But uh, we appreciate so many of you playing along and commenting. We, uh, we, we get it that we, we'll try to make sure that this show hits on the things that you're all thinking about as often as we can. And we appreciate you watching. But uh, we're nearing the end. So Sam Bailey, let's head up to the top rope and hit our finisher. Which are you most likely to visit in the next three months? 9.3% said bookstore, 19.6% said movie theater, 45.6% said hotel, 25% said the mall. 
Uh, I've actually been to all of these except a movie theater many, many times. And I fully expect in the next three months, I will hit a movie theater. Um, guys, Steve, you can go first. I mean, I'll hit every single one of these, uh, you know, by the, uh, but in the next three months. So it's hard for me to vote, but, uh, I would say with certainty I'll, I'll be to a movie theater. Cause I think we're going to go see black widow, uh, this week. And then, uh, yeah, we have a hotel booked for, for August. I think we're going to try and head down to Mexico for a little bit. And uh, maybe the mall is the least likely. Cause I just hate malls anyway, but <laughs> Steve, how far are you from a mall? <laughs> That's five minutes. Oh, okay. Yeah. That, uh, Max, have you been in any of these? Not yet, but uh, I have a hotel booked uh, this uh, this month for uh, a trip I'm taking, and uh, bookstores. I'll, I'll go to some bookstores, but malls, movie theaters, not my thing. I would say we've gone to the mall pretty regularly, even during the pandemic. Uh, I am a giant fan of uh, of Books a Million, which is not a a particularly national chain, but there's there's one near us in Davenport, Florida, that we almost always go out of our way to go to. They do a really good job with. Uh, you know, selling Funko Pops and other sort of fun things in addition to books. They have a nice little coffee shop. Um, obviously, I've stayed in hotels throughout. I'll be at two different hotels over the next week. Um, the hard one for me is movie theaters. And it's not so much that I don't want to go to the movies, is that all the other things I'm doing kind of takes my Fridays and Saturdays and just make, I'm not home and I'm not necessarily like when I used to travel alone, I might go to the movies alone. I'm not so sure that's worth doing anymore when I could pull up a lot of things to watch in my hotel room on my laptop. Uh, so we appreciate all of you who voted in the poll. Uh, I will be back Wednesday uh, with Anirban Mahanti talking, uh, I'm not even sure what, I think we picked it, but I don't remember what it is. Uh, and that show will be live from the Cherokee Casino in North Carolina. So I'll be hosting, I'll be here to answer your questions. I'll try to have a picturesque background behind me, but it could very well be my hotel room depending on, on what the rules are like. Um, if you'd like to get in touch with us, that is info at seveninvesting.com. That's an email. If you want to say hi to Steve, if you have a question about your membership, if you have a question about how our site works, uh, how the Yext search works, uh, a couple of works in progress uh, happening on our site. So if you, if you see something new and you don't know what it is and you want to ask, we are happy to answer those questions. If you want to interact with us, that is at seven investing. That is the number seven investing on Twitter. We are all active on Twitter. Twitter, uh, maybe a little less so for me tomorrow because I'm going to be on a plane for part of the day, uh, but usually very active on Twitter. So for Steve Simington, for Max Chatsko, I'm Dan Klein. Thank you, Sam Bailey, behind the glass. We will see you from North Carolina on Wednesday. Reminder that people on this program may hold positions in the companies that are mentioned. Buying and selling stock carries financial risk, which could include the loss of capital. The views in this program should not be taken as personalized advice. Before acting on any of the information provided, listeners are encouraged to consult a financial or tax professional.